Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. One of the uh, things I've heard Tim Keller say is that when we come to God, there's only one thing that we can offer him that is acceptable. And I don't want to see any hands, but you know what that is? Humility. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand. I've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Humbling ourselves before God. And you will see, you know, it's when uh, I never understood when King David was confronted about his sin uh, with Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, Why, when he wrote Psalm 51, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned. And I, I'm like, what? I, I, because, you know, we, we not only sin against God, but we, can, we sin against people. You, he sinned against his country, David did. And I don't, you only. Well, the, the thing is, is, it's like when Jesus confronted Paul. He says, why have you persecuted me? That's Jesus saying that to Paul, who was Saul at the time. Well, he was persecuting the Christians. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. And so that's where David is coming from, is he realized that the ultimate uh, effect of what he had done to Uriah and with Bathsheba and to his nation and for it was it was uh, ultimately it was to God so when we come to God and he humbled himself and he says uh, you know a, a brokenness a contrite heart a contrite spirit is what you're seeking and so we you know contrite rock is there's a, there's a name for contrite rock. Do you know what it's called? Talcum powder. There are other things that talcum powder are made of, but originally that was contrite rock. It's broken into so many pieces, you can't put it back together again. Only God can. And I'm going to show you something. You know, uh, one of the things that Tim Keller says there's a thing called an antinomy. Um, that's how I say it. Antimony is the right way to pronounce it. Antimony. And antimony is when you have a revelation from God, about God, in His Word, that says two things that sound like they contradict each other, but both are true. And so there's a meaning in the middle, in a sense. There's a meaning to understand. I'm going to give you a little bit of that today. And I think it, uh, this is going to be something incredible for you. Uh, I've been having this, generally speaking, when things coming up, I, I get a scripture or a, a, a revelation of God from his word, illumination, however you want to put it. And it's just like, I can't, I'm like a, a dog with a bone. I don't want to let go of it. And I just hope you, you can see it today too, because it's going to have to do with humility and presenting yourself to God in a humble way. But, but uh, Tim Keller says, you know, in uh, John the sixth chapter, towards the end, Jesus said to his disciples, you haven't chosen me, I've chosen you. You know, God has chosen you. I look out over, I don't see anybody. And I don't, I can't determine your relationship with God and whether you are saved or not saved. And I got scripture for that. Jesus says, growing up with a weed is the chaff. And we can't tell the difference. But God will sort it out. It's kind of like what the Marines used to say. Kill them all and let God sort it out. 
I mean, literally, that's what they say. <laughs> Kill them all and let God sort it, sort them out. Well, that's you know, at the end of the time, God's going to sort it out. He knows your heart. He looks on your heart. And uh, now there, I can be a fruit inspector because it says we shall know them by their fruits. So I can uh, judge something. I can judge a fruit. My fruit, you can judge my fruit. But the, the truth of the matter is, I don't know if you're connected to God or not. You know, uh, I think Philip said to Jesus, show us the way, show us the way to the Father. And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There's a double meaning in that, too. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But when he says this, I am the way. One of the things I love most about Franklin Graham. And when I say most, I, I, I loved his dad. I loved Billy Graham. But I tell you, I, I have as much respect for Franklin Graham as I did Billy Graham. I think he's just a, a beautiful example of, of Christians. And I've seen him on many different shows, many different times. One of the things he never fails to do is to point out that very scripture, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him, through him. No man, no man comes to the Father. And so that is, and I love that. If you're evangelical, that's the beginning. You can't come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we're, we are exclusive in our faith as far as if, if, if you believe God's word, we don't believe there's any other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And that's, you know, all the things that I believe and all the convictions I may have, I, I hold loosely in the sense that I don't, I don't believe them to the point of, you know, putting my salvation on the line for them. So for one, Jesus is the way. He's the way. And I've never heard Franklin Graham ever on any show, fail to point that out. There's another meaning, though, in this. Not only is Jesus the way to the Father, He is the way. In other words, you just you not only come through Him, but He is the example for our lives. He's the, the way to live. I, I love Second Corinthians, the third chapter. Read it sometimes at the end, especially when it gets to the point where Paul is talking about how when Moses came down out of the mountain, he had been in the presence of God and he had seen the glory of God. Now, originally, God wanted the people to come up to the mountain, but they were afraid of God. So Moses went up there by himself. And so uh, he wanted to see God's face, but God says, no, you can't see my face and live. You can see my backside and put him in a cliff of a rock, which is an example of Jesus Christ right there. Okay, so and he passes by and when he comes down, he was glowing so much that the people were so frightened of him that they put a, a bag over his head. Okay, so that they couldn't look at it. And um, that, it's called a veil. It was a veil over him. And that in itself is a, a total example of something that Jesus was and is and does. And that is that if you recall when Jesus was crucified, he was in the, uh, when he was crucified, there was an earthquake and then the veil that was between the Ark of the Covenant and the people was split from top to bottom. 
In other words, in what that was symbolic of is the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God, the glory of God. When the Ark of the Covenant was taken, uh, Phineas' wife had a baby when she found out that the Ark of the Covenant was taken and her husband was killed. And she gave birth, she was pregnant and she gave birth to a man child and called him Ichabod, which means the glory of God is departed. So that Ark of the Covenant was the glory of God. And the veil is split. Now if you read 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, it says that when Israel, Jewish people, or anybody, us, when we read the Old Testament, there is a veil over our faces or over between us and the Old Testament that you cannot understand God by reading the Old Testament. Okay, wait a minute. Pastor, I read the Old Testament and understand God. Mm. You may, but you have to take the veil away. You see, the veil, and you read it, 2 Corinthians 3, the, the veil is over Moses' face because they could not steadfast look into the glory of God because of its beauty and radiance was so bright that they weren't, you get it? Which veil, according to Second Corinthians 3, is done away in Christ. So if you look at the old text, because see, the word was made flesh. The glory of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. The only way we could really look into the face of God. You know, the psalmist, King David said, Thy face, Lord, do I seek. The Lord said to me, Seek ye my face, your face, Lord, do I seek. Could not see it until Jesus Christ came to the earth. The word was made flesh. God converted himself, the son, the Godhead, the son of the triune God, the, the son, into flesh and made it flesh and dwelt among us. You know, Rodney's in the hospital at Bassett. Amin Oswad is in the hospital at Bassett. Be nice if you could get up there to visit him. I don't because of being a chaplain at Fox Hospital for several years. They do not want anybody coming in there that has cold because the cold can be devastating to someone. So I'm not going in there. It'd be nice to go visit them. Why do I bring that up? Amin Oswad, who was pastor of the Cooperstown Assembly of God and then later went into the jail ministry, would come here and preach once in a while. We'd take up a mission offering for the jail ministry of, of uh, Otsego County. John Grenier is in charge of the jail ministry in Delaware County. And Amin Oswald, first time I ever heard this, it was around Christmas time. And uh, could somebody bring up some tissues for me, please? Or, oh, wonderful. I got them. They're coming. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Anita. Pardon me, I, I don't. I, I'm afraid I need this. I don't want to leave this half sad either because this is important to finish it. But it mean Oswald around, it's around Christmas time, and the, one of the first names of God, of Jesus Christ, was Emmanuel. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means uh, God with us. And Amin Oswald said, good way to remember that is to say, in, in man ye dwell. In man ye dwell. Because in man he dwelt. He became a man. And uh, 
when the word was made flesh and dwelt on, we could behold God's glory until Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth and through God's word, we can see him today in the New Testament and the Old Testament. You could not see what God and the true nature of God was really like. But when the word was made flesh, then you could see. So he is not only the way to God by faith, believing in him, but he is the way to God while we walk on earth in the Lord. You see that? Okay, so we're going to look at this. Philippians, the second chapter, verse five. Let them, and I'll tell you when we're going to go next verse, okay, uh, Rikish? Um, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is going to be uh, pretty amazing because remember I said Tim Keller a while ago would say, like he says in, in uh, Romans 6, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. So there are some people, some doctrines, and I'm, again, I don't hold any doctrine of mine to the point where I'm going to risk my eternal life on it, except for one thing, Jesus Christ in him only. Faith in him only. So if somebody else has a different doctrine from mine, I... I can appreciate, especially scriptures that they're, they're, they're getting, okay? And when he says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, there's a number of places where there's some uh, contradictions. They're called antimonies, like I said a while ago. Anti- I like to say antinomy, antinomy. Nomi meaning name, anti means they're, they're at adverse with one another. And of course we like to say this, which one are true? Have he, did he choose us or did we choose him? Which, which one are true? The answer is yes. Okay. How can both be true? Well, for starters, God is God and he can do anything, you know. But I'm going to show you a little bit about how they're, they're, they're both true today. Right, And there's several other things. that Now, what is it when he says, you have chosen us? What is that on uh, ultimately the doctrine of? Well, predestination, yes. But even goes before that, predestination. You can even go the, you know, the election or all these things. But it's ultimately, it gets down to one thing, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. It's like everything that happens is according to God's plan. So that's where that, believing just that alone, you know, we haven't chosen him. He says that you haven't chosen me, I've chosen you. Just that alone it's based upon God's sovereignty. There's a number of problems with that. Probably the greatest problem of, excuse me, that cough drop coming out. The greatest problem of all is that, and I've known some people that will not accept any responsibility for anything because of the sovereignty of God. You know, God planned it all. But you see, there's another thing. He has chosen us first, but we have a free will. Now, I've actually met people that didn't believe that. We don't have a free will. Well, we do. And I'm going to show you a little bit about that right now. It says, let this mind be in you. Um, It's, I, I don't know Greek, but I study you know, I have the helps and everything, and, and I study them, and there's so much. I, there's way, 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 way more I don't know than I do. But I study it, and I try to learn from 
people that do know a whole lot more than I do. And I look in the scriptures. And sometimes I think I see something that maybe isn't really there, but it's still there as far as I'm concerned. This word mind, for example, most of the time when you see the word mind in the New Testament, it is so frequently connected with the word soul. And the word soul in the New Testament is suke, suke. You know, we get our word psychic from it, psychic. You know, so soul literally uh, is the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. This word mind isn't suke. This word mind is uh, spelled in the English spelling of the Greek, forneo, uh, starting with a P-H. P-H-O-R-N-E-O, forneo. What does this mean? Many, many other translations, and I could go over down the line on them, says, let this attitude be in you. You know, we all, as a, as a, a student, and I still see myself as a student, uh, sometimes we take for granted we know what things mean, you know. And sometimes we're in the ballpark, but maybe not entirely. But when we see some kid acting up and says, you got a, what, a bad attitude. You got a bad attitude. Well, I looked up that word attitude one time, and it is neither good nor bad. It's in the it's, it's It depends on how it's used. You can have a good attitude, or you can have a bad attitude. But I looked up that word, and it said, it sent out the mark, Pre, predisposition, predisposition. Well, I looked at predisposition. You know what it said? Willing. Willingness. And many of the translations I saw, it says willingness, which means you're yielding your will. You're being willing. If you're willing, you're yielding your will. And in this, now what really boggles my mind, and I think I understand why, the same Greek word for mind there, for neo, is also the one for let. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Which can give you a little understanding here about God's will for your life and you having a free will. Proverbs 3, and I always wondered about this. It says, let your heart keep my commandments. Let my heart. You know, when we let something, what do we do? We allow it. Well, that's exactly what this means. We allow God's will to work in our lives. Now he is not, he, he, if, he, if he wanted just people to just do what his sovereign will was, no matter what, he would have just left us uncreated because the angels do that. You know? But he wanted to make man who would choose to let him do it. You see, that's his will is to do it. It is our will to let him do it. And that's what this means. Let this mind be in you. So that's why the both words have to do with God's will. Letting it be your will. You yielding your will to God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I saw something within the last two weeks, and it's not the first time I've looked at this scripture. I've had these scriptures memorized for 40-something years. These are two of the most uh, used scriptures by pastors. This, you know, there there may be a half, half a dozen scriptures that are used on a regular basis. And this is one of the most used scriptures by pastors all over the place. 
You know, I know a person who says this is the theme. I, I went to a wedding one time. A Christian pa- uh, 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 pastor said that this was his theme of every wedding. Let this, this scripture we're about to look at. Very famous scripture. I was talking to a pastor um, <coughs> excuse me, Wednesday. We have pastors meeting on Thursday. And I was talking to a pastor who called me up and said that uh, I, I talked with him before and invited him to our pastor's uh, uh, fellowship. And he was calling me up Wednesday saying he has uh, there's a second person who missed the pastor's meeting for a funeral. Really? And I say that really because you may remember that John Grenier once taught me something which I use quite frequently. And as John Grenier says, I never kissed my wife until after we were married. And people would go, I know, the first time he said that was with a, a bunch of pastors and we went, really? Man, that's old fashioned. And I says, man, I've heard of I've heard of being old-fashioned before, but that's really old-fashioned, you know. Especially in light of the fact that it's in his kiss. Oh, you don't know that song. Never mind. It's, there was a song. If, if, if you don't know if, we, if he really loves you, it's in his kiss. <laughs> so it's the same thing, see. And when we would go like, and then he would say, she wasn't my wife then. See, I, I, never, I didn't re-kiss her until after we were married. Never kissed my wife. He kissed the girl that was going to be his wife, but he didn't kiss his wife because they weren't married then. I said, I'm going to use that a lot. And then I told him one. If there's something in the future you really don't want to go to as a pastor, let's say six months down the road, you say, oh, I can't go that day. I have a funeral that day. Nobody, no pastor knows that somebody's going to die that far in advance and exactly when they're going to be buried, you know. So, you know, that, that's just kind of like Dr. B's, my wife's baking bread, you know. If I don't want to go to that meeting, uh, you know, I got excuses. So, there was a reason I was sharing that, by the way, and I know it was. Pardon me? Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a pretty safe bet. It's a, based something on the sovereignty of God. It'll come to me in a minute. Yes, oh, that's, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So the two pastors, they let me know they couldn't make it because of, you know, it was, it was the truth. <laughs> they really did, you know. And this one called me up, and I got into telling him about these scriptures that I have just been so blessed by. And um, he said, I've been, med- I med- I've been meditating all morning on those scriptures. What are the odds? Oh, about 100%. But that's the sovereignty of God, you know. But the scripture. I was just showing the importance of these scriptures. Let this attitude, let, you know, the, when Alcoholics Anonymous started, it was a Christian beginning. So most of the things that are in the program are all Christ and Bible based. And some of those sayings is, one of the sayings is, let go and let God. You see, the problem is God is not going to make you do anything. You have to let him. And we're going to look at this. This is so beautiful. I hope that you... Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please let me share the beauty of this scriptures that we're going to look at. It's so beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Next verse. What mind was in Christ? Oh. You know, I love the King James Bible. And when the King James Bible, this was an excellent translation. (laughs) This part. All All of it is. But in today's English, it sounds just the opposite of what it means. Uh, I know that because I know how I first took it. And I've heard sermons of nationally known pastors that have preached this, the opposite of what it actually saying. So the King James is, it's not a good translation. Originally it was. But if you read every other translation, there's probably like 50 of them, you'll see that this is not the right translation. Now, maybe you will take it the right way. I don't know. But it says, though, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also, also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, and we'll come back to that in a minute, that's not the problem, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That sounds like he didn't think there was anything wrong with being equal with God. That's the opposite of what it means. Literally, this word robbery is another Greek word, horopagma. And I heard Bob Bob Mumford teach on this one time. Did not think it, did not think of grasping to be equal with God. most translations say something like that. Did not think equality with God was something that was to be grasped. They even, in Mumford's case, he would connect the, the comparison with, you know, Jesus is called the last Adam and the second Adam. And the first Adam, grasp to be equal with God. Eve, grasp to be equal with God. Adam, grasp. He knows if you eat this food, you will be like him. So they grasped the, the last Adam did not grasp to be equal with God. We especially know this because the next verse says, but he emptied himself. But we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this. Being in the form of God. That word form is a Greek word we should know uh, because we get an English word. It's morphe. And you know what English word we get from that? Metamorphos, morphos, okay, morphe, literally translated, and some translations actually say the literal, it means though, who, being God, right, being God in man, though he was God, he had all the qualities and attributes and everything, he was God. Though he was God, did not grasp to be equal with God. Next verse. But made himself of no reputation. Another but this 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 isn't opposite of the way it sounds. Who knows what it means sound wise made himself of no reputation. But it literally means he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? All the rights that he had of God, being God. He emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and made in the likeness and was made in the likeness of men. So he made himself, he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Emmanuel, in God ye dwell. Let's look at the next verse. We might come back to this one. Being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself. Now see, this is not talking about the man Jesus humbling himself, though he was fully man, fully God. This is referring to the whole experience. Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, uh, three weeks, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I don't remember now. Part of getting older. But five weeks ago, four weeks ago, I I was talking about where Jesus was made water into wine. And 
when they run out of wine, his mother comes to him and says, we have no wine. He says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is another Tim Keller sermon that I heard. And quite frankly, until I heard Tim Keller preach this, I had a total different perspective of this scripture that's in the second chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, I always thought that he was annoyed at his mother. In reality, when he says, my hour is not yet come, that is referring to something which is all the way through the scripture in the book of John, referring to the crucifixion and the resurrection, but everything that led up to that. So when he's seeing the wedding and the wine and what that all represents, that is a reminder of what his whole life is going to be about. New wine. That's when he says, my hour is not yet. It didn't mean the time for me to make a miracle has not yet come. No, this is very deliberate. We can't treat God like we would, it's ourselves, you know. This is deliberate. This, this first, first one is significant. And you see, though, that his life from the first, from the time he's baptized to the time he goes to the cross is all a, uh, a production of what God, Jesus, has come to do. Somebody say amen. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Even as the glory of the father. And so when you see this, he humbled himself. That is referring to, no, no, I also know this because there's another, situ, another scripture that talks about something along this same nature. And I was going to go to it, but for time constraint, I'm, going, I'm just going to tell you what's in it. And then you can be Berean and go home and check me out. And he talks about how Jesus, uh, that we are to follow his example. Why? Because he's the what? The way. This is in uh, tw- uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right now, you know, for the joy that was set before What was the joy that was set before him? Me. Say me. I didn't, no, me. (laughs) No, no, yeah, you. You're right. It's, say, point your thumbs out. Say me. I'm the joy that was set before him. (laughs) He endured the cross. And then he says something very interesting. I looked this up and most translations say the same thing. Despising the shame. What shame? Well, to be made sin with our sin is pretty shameful. But he's referring to the entire experience from the time that he becomes man. Jesus, God, becoming a man. Now, when I say this, I got to preface it by saying, you know, the, the little note that Rebecca wrote to her daddy, just think of what Jesus suffered on the cross for us when you're feeling bad. Boy, did I get convicted when I heard and saw the, saw the writing of that. I was like, oh, wow. But here's the deal. And I don't want to, in any way, the preaching of the cross... To them that perish, it's foolish. But unto us that are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. But that whole thing on the cross is not only was not only real, and it was all not only magnificent, but it's also symbolic of everything that God has done for us. What did I mean by that? From the time that he is born. He, what, ha, what God does at that moment 
is greater than the suffering on the cross. Now, I only say that because the suffering on the cross was very great, but it was only, uh, it was also symbolic, all right, of something greater. And what is that? When God becomes a man to save us. I mean, this is Almighty God we're talking about. God, Almighty God, spoke the worlds. I said this, you take your hand like this, and you just move it up, up like this, at nighttime. If you look in that little square, or rectangle, or whatever you want to call it, and you could see for eternity, you could see 90 million galaxies. Whoa. That's just in that little part of, part of the sky. 90 million galaxies. There's millions and millions of stars in a galaxy. Whew. God spoke all that into existence. And he's our creator. Can you understand what Jesus means when he says despising the shame? Heard Derek Prince once teach on covenant. It's the only guy I ever heard make references to the scriptures. And this is something that just boggles my mind. Hundreds and hundreds of teachings that I've heard from a broad, uh, 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 from the broad spectrum of teachers and preachers, hundreds of them. And I've never heard only, I've only heard one person teach on what God did before the world was created for us. And you know, my, one of my favorites, second Timothy one, nine, how God saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. And that's not the only scripture. There's a, you know, in in Titus, it says how God promised us, promised you eternal life. Before the world began. And there's a, I give you five other scriptures. What God did before the world began. Now we don't know exactly how that happens. It just says it happened. Derek Prince suggested this and I kind of like it. And I, I believe him. I agree with him. It's just a speculation. We don't know. But God the Father. God the Son sitting at his right hand. And God the Father says to God the Son. I'm going to create mankind. And they're going to fall. And we're going to have to save them. And the only way we can save them is if you go to them there and you die for them. Will you do that? Yes, Father, I will do that. That's covenant. That's what he says. That's what covenant really is like. So Jesus came to the earth. Now, why do we, you know, we can look at the crucifixion, but let's go back. Let's go backwards from that. What happened just before that? The Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't just suffering on the cross. He was suffering before the cross. And it wasn't the nails in the hands it wasn't the nails in the feet. It wasn't the whipping. And if you ever watched the Passion of Christ, that whipping alone. You know, uh, the guy that played uh, Vin Diesel, uh, not Vin Diesel, <laughs> um, Caviezel. Jim Caviezel played Christ. He says they put a plate over his back and then they put skin and tissue underneath there so that when the whips hit and the barbs hit and they would tear it, it looked real. 
except for one time, one of those barbs flew around that plate and caught him in the rib. He says, I have never been in so much pain in all my life. Stop everything and go to the cross. When he was on the cross, lightning struck the cross. And the lightning went down into the ground through the wood and snakes started coming up out of the ground. I mean, there were so many things that happened on this set that was just in itself amazing. So don't think for a minute when I say something like to suggest that the cross was not the greatest thing that God did, that it was not amazing and beautiful and nothing I could do. On the other hand, 39 stripes, Remember that? that we're just talking about the barbs and everything? Paul had it five times. He's beat with 39 stripes. Something Jesus did that Paul did not do, though. And that whole cross is just for our visual understanding because we understand physical suffering. But what he suffered was so much greater than the cross. So we go backwards to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's suffering there. Why? What is he suffering about? Is he worried about the nails and the... No. Jesus was made sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he was made sin, his father, which he had had eternal fellowship with, turns his back on his son. That's what was greater than the cross. Wow. So he's, all, he's experienced. That's, that's when he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. See, even at that point, so the suffering is beginning. So it, what he did on the cross was symbolic of, all, of, of the whole thing. From the very beginning, the promise of eternal life. Ah, But what's really, maybe, of all the things, is God becoming a man. What? I mean, I don't know how to get it into some kind of picture of my own mind, but it would be like, I don't know, the the most... What is the smallest thing? A protozoan, an amoeba, one-celled animal? An amoeba is a one-celled animal? Unless it's a gigantic amoeba which was eating the ate the enterprise. <laughs> that would be like me being the creator of everything on earth and becoming an amoeba to save the amoebas. And that's not even a, a good picture of it. For God to become a man to save me. Well, let's go backwards. Let's, 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 I'm jumping the gun here. Garden of Gethsemane. Before that, he breaks bread. And what's really remarkable about that, which we're going to see something here in a minute, is he broke bread with Judas. He broke bread with Judas, knowing full well that Judas, Judas was going to betray him. And in one respect, this is what this whole sermon is going to be about, is when you get rejected. Anybody in here get rejected? We all kind of have our Judases, you know, at one time or another. Sometimes we deserve them. Sometimes not so much. It's those, it's those times when not so much that it's really hard. But he broke bread with Judas. And before that, he washed his feet. Why? Because being in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And it started when he became a man. It started at, before the world began when God the Father, speculating, You're going to have to die for man. I will. He humbled himself. 
You see, what's the only thing we can present to him is humility. But you see, the reason we can present humility to to him is because he humbled himself for us first. God, you you know, that's the only place in the Bible. You does some place where the God, you know, Moses changed God's mind about destroying Israel. But it doesn't say any place in there about how God humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a man. Wow. So, though, so when he humbles himself and he washes their feet and he humbles himself and he breaks bread and he humbles himself even to, it says this, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even, the, that's even, but not ever, even the death of the cross. Let this attitude, let this attitude, don't make it, you don't make yourself do it, you let God do it through you. But you have to let him, you have to give him permission to work in your life. But you can only do it in the first place because he humbled himself first. And this is the thing that I've been thinking about. God, you humbled yourself. You humbled yourself to save me. That's what it means, despising the shame. He humbled himself. It's another way of saying it. He despised the shame. He is our example. And that's what he says. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude, let it. And it really means let it, let God, let God do this. Just get out of the way and let him do it. He's not going to make you do it. We're not talking about let God make you do it. We're talking about just let go and let God. Let God, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not, though he was God himself, did not grasp to be, to be equal with the Father, but he emptied himself. That's another thing. We have to not grasp. We let this add it. Not grasp to be equal with God. You see, this is, this is the whole thing. What is he doing? What is Jesus? Who? Why did he humble himself? Why did he go to the cross? To save me. So... Ephesians 1 says, be ye therefore followers of God. Other translations say imitators. You know what's the most amazing thing about man and God? All the attributes that God has that says, I'm God, not you. You can't do this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's, in, that's referred to in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, Romans 12. It says, render not evil for evil, but blessing for evil. Knowing that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So all the things that God is, we want to be. Like That's what means to grasp, to be equal with God. But all the things that he says, I want you to be an imitator of me, and eh, not so much. I don't know if I want to do that or not. See, we want to be, we want to have unforgiveness. That's God's, we don't have the authority or the right to be God. That's God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So when it talks about, uh, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he's talking about what, did, what was in Christ Jesus? Why did he do all that? To save me? Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Even as Christ, even as Christ gave himself as a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet smell for us. So if you're going to let this attitude in you, if you're going to have the same mindset, one says have the mindset. Let this attitude be in you. You're going to let God work in you so that you can be like Christ in as much as you're going to lay down your life for others as he did. In the ABC's kindergarten preschool thing of that is to forgive people who have sinned against you. That's what he came, that's what Jesus came to do, to forgive us who have sinned against him. Let this walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself to God. You give yourself to God for others. It's kind of like where he told uh, John, uh, Peter in John 21, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love, see, we don't, if you put the love of the sheep first, yeah, yeah, Jesus says, uh, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength, will, emotions, everything. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself till you've done the number one. It can't be done. And then when number two, when the second one comes up, you let it, let God do it. Amen? So, I'm thankful, especially, you know, Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that God humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, I can humble myself before the mighty hand of God. And I cannot humble myself until I understand the fullness of how he humbled me or he humbled himself. And through me, he can, I can let God humble me. You see that? Yes. Oh, I hope you do. Because, you know, Christmas is coming up in man ye dwell. Wow. The gift of God is so rich and so full, it goes back eternity past to eternity future. And while on earth, it starts at birth of Christ becoming a man which I have think I, I, it's like I said, I become an amoeba to s- save amoebas. Who would do that? Only an idiot would do that. Oh, I just call God an idiot. Well, I I I, I kind of you know I, I use that for God made Jesus His Son sin with my sin who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I, I, God is insane. By man's standard, he is an idiot. Boy, I'm so glad you're an idiot, God. I'm so glad you're insane. By God's standard, different, different words. He's awesome. Awesome. We serve an awesome God. And for this Christmas, this Thanksgiving, I'm going to be thankful that God humbled himself and became a man. Wow. And all the way up to Christmas when we celebrate when he becomes a person. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. You became a man. Wow. I, 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 I know I don't even see how wonderful that is. I just got a glimpse of it. I want to see the fullness of it. You became a man to save me. Wow. And found in the fashion of men, you humbled yourself even unto obedience, the death of the cross. 
But because you did, wherefore God has highly exalted you and given you a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. We bow our knee right now. On bended knee we come, with a humble heart we come. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.